If they're on their way into like a grocery store and you're like, especially in Jacksonville, Florida, and you're like, hey, five bucks to get on the news, they'll be like, okay, cool. I'll, yeah, I can buy something with that, whatever. Yeah, well, people, I mean, one, it, it's ethically uh, ambiguous. It's not I ethically think. ambiguous. I'm not bit. telling them what to say. I'm just trying to trying to encourage them to help me make my program yeah but but say uh, if you do that then like that person might be calling him they might call the other news stations and be like yo action news they're they're paying action people news, they have a great business plan <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> that's what they'll say <laughs> Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sizzle Reel podcast. This is our pilot episode. We're trying to straight up on the fly, learn how to use these microphones, learn how to record this so it doesn't sound too shitty. And uh, also maybe, I don't know, talk about uh, post-production along the way or something like that. That's the idea. Hopefully we can get something going here. Yeah, hopefully it turns out and hopefully uh, we can get more than, I want to say more than six episodes into this. I think six episodes would be easy to do. I think like once we've got to double digits, that's when we can really pat ourselves on the back. I think that's bold. I think we can do it. I'm glad that you're the one editing this. Have you ever like started a project and then you uh, choose, you know, you have to like name the file or name the episode or whatever. And you're like, instead of calling it like one, you're like not even zero one. You're like, I'm gonna call it zero zero one. I was said <laughs> it like, yeah, there might be almost a thousand of these bitches. No, <laughs> never happens. It always gets to like zero, zero, four. And then you're like, yeah, this project sucks. You, you've never delivered a thousand versions of a video. I have gotten damn close. I think actually straight up, I think the most I've ever delivered is like 37 or something like that. That's insane. Yeah. And, but it, it's always like minuscule, like how different is 37 from like eight? You know what I mean? They're like the same fucking video. Uh, the un, untitled, um, the untitled pilot that we worked on for that one production company. God damn, that's that. This already like is so vague. But should I put it? Should I put it on blast? I don't know. Oh, wait, which one was it? Was that the hip hop world? So we did a pilot for. World. We did a pilot for a production company. Uh, last fall, well, winter maybe, um, and it was it featured. Uh, it was like two guys going around the world and kind of experiencing. Uh, hip hop in different uh, countries and different cities and seeing how hip hop has become like a worldwide sensation. And that was a project where, you know, I think that one got up to like 20 something rounds or 30 something rounds, but I get that they're documentary filmmakers. Like it makes sense. I know? think, I think that project I came in on like version 20 something because it, it went so far past the, the blocked dates that yeah. you had to bring me in because you had other projects going on. Yeah, that one is that one was a little crazy. But I mean, again, like th that's just what they do. Like they're documentarians. Like that's why I would never want to work in documentary filmmaking, really. Like it would be tight to an extent, but I'd have to be so into the subject, you know. Documentaries are tough to me because they're almost they're too similar to reality TV in a way where it's just so much footage to go through. And even though like a, the goal of a documentary is to, you want to tell the truth, but you also want to have a story, but sometimes the edits kind of bend the truth a little bit to make the story more exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember, um, well, let me give you, let me, for the people out there, here's a little background, right? So, uh, Chris and I, I'm Alexi. That's Chris. Hello. Right? I think, I think he's still Chris. I don't know. We, uh, you know, grew up kind of uh, more involved in uh, writing than we were in the editing world. And then I guess uh, 
as we got older, realized you can't have a job writing. <laughs> Writing's difficult. I'm struggling with it right now. Yeah. I just like to call what I do writing where like I just talk and I'm like, yeah, that's writing. Basically, we're just writing our voices. We're, we're literally writing out loud right now. Yeah, that's pretty sick. But um, yeah, I uh, I moved to Los Angeles and started working there. And then I worked a little bit in Portland. Then I came to New York. Now, full-time you know, video uh, post-production company, I guess, here. And uh, Chris, you started in news, I think. Yeah, I stayed in Jacksonville, uh, family obligations. And I tried to carve out a, a career in any sort of video work there. Uh, I ended up in news as a news editor working from 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. for like a year before I got full time. Eventually, I transitioned from news editor into news photographer. And I basically hated what I did because it's it's not a fun job and it's not creative, really. It's not your job to be creative. It's your job to deliver the news and do it quickly and correctly. And about a year and a half ago, I moved to New York to pursue an actual career in post-production. Yeah, you don't want to get too creative with the news. If you get too creative with the news, the country uh, falls into civil unrest. <laughs> yes, a little bit of misinformation. Yeah, I think we're, uh, I think we're seeing that firsthand. Um, no, the news is something that, honestly, I don't think I ever even really applied to news jobs. I worked a little bit in news when I was in college. That was, uh, it was like 10 years ago. I, I worked at the little college news station uh, in Gainesville, Florida for, you know, a semester or something like that. Um, but I don't know, man. It's just like, yeah, it's kind of boring, you know? It's a, it's a, you probably see some wild shit, but it's like still pretty boring. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see enough dead bodies. You're kind of good on it. That's fucking insane. How many dead bodies do you see? Uh, un under five, I would say. That is absurd. How long did you work there? I worked in news for a little over four years. Oh, so you were one a year, pretty steady clip. You were <laughs> like, all right, when's that? Did you have pools? You're like, when's that dead body? When's well, that dead body coming? I, my, bet, my guess is it's going to be a July 4th one this year. I'm speaking specifically dead bodies that I was in, in the presence of. Uh, as far as seeing oh. them in the news, like on, on the screen, dozens. Easily. Oh, my God, dude. Have you ever seen that? What's that fucking movie with uh, Jake? Is it Jake Gyllenhaal where he's like the... Nightcrawler? Nightcrawler? Oh, oh, yeah, where he's the stringer. They call them stringers, yeah. and basically they're like freelance news videographers. They usually have a good, like a, a broadcast camera that, you know, they're able to be closer to kind of rural areas away from the news station. Like we, we would use two stringers that were in the county south of us just because it was... It's you, almost it's almost like I guess if something comes up there, you're not going to be like, cool. OK, I have to drive my ass two hours out there. It's like, yo, let's just call Jimmy. He'll go. He lives 20 minutes from there. He'll just shoot it real quick. More or less. And a lot of times we wouldn't even call them. They would just go out and shoot stuff like they would listen on their police scanner or whatever. And they would hear something's going on. They would go shoot it and then they would call the station and be like, hey, we'll sell this to you. It's this much if you want it exclusive, as in we won't sell it to the two or three other competitors in your market, then it's this much more expensive. And our stringers actually, they they had a helicopter or, or a small plane. So we, so bizarre. isn't it crazy? That like reminds me of like just Grand Theft Auto 5 or some shit. Like that should be a, <laughs> a mission that that Trevor guy has to do. That would actually be super dope to. That's literally what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. It, they should make a stringer video game. 
Stringer the game? That's actually a news video game. Like it sounds boring, but it could be super dope. <laughs> you have missions where you have to arrive on scene before the competitors. Oh this is it's kind, kind you know, of like so hilarious. You're like that job sucked. I'd never do it again. If they made a video game, yeah, I play that shit. <laughs> That's bizarre. The fact that these fools owned a helicopter, that's what gets me. It's like I, you I, owned a helicopter. I think it might have been a small plane, but they like it, it was okay. hard a yeah, small plane. It's it's hard to tell for, from the footage um because it's just you're in the air and like you're so far like the camera's so far away that you don't necessarily know what if it's that a is, plane or a helicopter. It's, a, it's absolutely bizarre to me. Like what a crazy like lifestyle to get into. What a insane career path. Not insane in a bad way, just like it, I don't, it just you have to be a pretty certain type of of uh, person. You have to like be seeking a lot of adrenaline. I feel like to do that kind of shit. I don't know. I think for them it was just kind of side money, actually, because I believe at least one of them was like an engineer, like a uh, like a satellite engineer or a, like a you know works in radio engineer and it's they, like IT basically or something like that. Yeah. So so like at the station we had a handful of engineers and their job was basically to make sure that the satellites that we received feeds from were positioned correctly and making sure, you know, all the wires were running correctly. Yeah. And all the nerd shit. And then they were like, shit. damn, I can't do this nerd shit all day. We, we had go, one specific. I need to go track some dead bodies in my helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talk about like, like a, like two uh, completely different like paths of their life. You know what I mean? They're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> seriously that's what it seems like i mean if you're out here like like you're like yes reposition the satellite and then like at night you're like all right it's time to fly my copter it's crazy because they, they do it they do it any time of day like i don't know i have no idea what kind of schedule they they lived on or worked on because i feel like they would just get a sometimes get a call in the middle of the night and they'd just be like okay here's a few hundred bucks i'll i'll go do it do you still keep up with any of them did you actually know them personally or no i actually i never met any of them but because i i was not just an editor i was also in like we called it the feed room so we were editing was honestly like a pretty small part of my job sometimes because the editing was the easy part the keeping track with all the different photographers who are sending you their live shots at the same time like we'd have between six and 12 live shots up at a time not not broadcast live but in our you know ready to go ready for the director to punch up so we like I was in charge of making sure I had to tune in the there's not just satellite, but there's also like the microwave dishes that the the big news trucks, they put up the giant pole and they position it towards yeah. a tower. Is that the shit that that's what would send you the signal? Yeah. So so I got signals from that. I got signals from satellites. And then we'd also we had something called live view backpacks, which are basically computers in a, it, like on, on your back that you, you plug a bnc sdi cable into your camera and you just live broadcast from there that, but you, you still have to you know have the coordinates right I, they're not really coordinates but you, you have to have everything punched up correctly you have to tell it where it's going exactly it's not, exactly not like open to yeah if you don't get the, the numbers right it's not going to go to the right place it's it seems uh pretty fucking overwhelming it, to have like eight different things coming at you live. Like I remember, so when I uh, first moved to Los Angeles, I worked a little bit with a company called Pop Sugar who they're they're cool. I like them. Everyone there is real nice. But the thing that I hated at the very beginning when I worked there, the, and you know, I was like, hey, I need to pay rent. So I need to make some extra money. And when award season came around, they would do basically live 
feeds of the red carpet, right? For the Emmys, for the Grammys, whatever. And you uh, basically, when someone's walking the carpet, when someone arrives and they're walking, you have to watch for that moment and just live clip it out, right? So you set the in, set the out live and you clip it. And then you identify who the person is and then you upload the footage or you put the bumpers on it if anything happens and you upload it so they can put it on their channel. Um, but what what I thought like that even to me was nerve wracking. One stream of people arriving like pretty slowly. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hope I don't mess this up. I hope I don't like actually miss this person or mislabel this person. And to, just to imagine like every day dealing with like eight streams of video and being like, cool. Better punch the right thing. That's why I could never direct news or live TV ever. It's, it's it was, too much. It was absolutely stressful. And like, I mean, that's why you see so many mistakes in local news is because for the most part, these people are like kind of fresh out of college and, you know, in their first or second jobs and usually understaffed, underpaid. I mean, typically we'd have during like the 6 p.m. newscast, we'd have three or four editors, especially for like if it's a big night and we any big news, we'd call in extra people. Mm-hmm. But in say in the mornings, the 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. shift, the first we, we would start the news at 4 a.m. The first three hours I was just editing stuff, getting ready for for the shows. And then another editor would come in at like 430 so that we'd have two people in the feed room because we'd have multiple people calling. You know, we'd both be on the phones at the same time yelling back with producers, telling them what we have, what we don't have, so that, you know, it's slotted for this time. Say a reporter misses slot, they at least are aware that they don't have it and they can go to the next story. Yeah, so and that's that's for, like, the morning newscast. So by the time, like, people are... Oh, there we go. Someone's playing some music out there. My Hopefully jam. everyone can hear it. I, uh, that, it's like, I feel like if you're doing morning news like that, it's probably incredibly stressful to wake up that early. Whenever I was up at 4 a.m., like in past jobs, it's just because I'm still up working or like, you know, we had like a late night to prep for the previous morning. It's really rare that I would ever get up super. That's why I, that's why I love post, man. That's why I still love post. It's because like you can start your day. You can, you can start your day a little later. Like you can start it at like 11. No one's going to get mad. And technically, as, as long as you meet your deadlines, people don't care. Mm-hmm. I think the worst, I think one time I accidentally overslept because that's a difficult schedule to adjust to going to sleep at like 5 p.m. and waking up at at midnight. And one time I slept until like 2 or 3 a.m. for my 1 a.m. shift. And I had to like it was some of the most stressed out I've ever been because I was still fairly new. I don't want to call my boss at at 2 or 3 in the morning and be like, oh, I'm in over my head. Holy shit. So I just came in. I an hour before shows let's just start slapping shit together trying to get everything where it needs to be and like nobody that day nobody noticed because i got it all done so as long as you meet your deadlines so then you were like damn i don't have to start till three now <laughs> <laughs> honestly it was nice though like i mean the schedule sucked but going in at 1 a.m it wasn't a bad shift because you'd be out by nine or something 10. well i mean that that shit still sucked but you the first few hours you're just editing and that's as a as an editor that's the time that you enjoy the most because i didn't have i wasn't having people call in and feed me stuff then i didn't have to deal with reporters i yeah. just had a you know a rundown where i i i clicked on the story it would give me a source for the video and a, a script that i would you know match the video to and that was a a much more peaceful time i feel like there's always those little moments those little zen moments and i still i still get them today like when 
you start a little bit earlier or whatever and you come in and it's like nothing is stressful and you just get to like cool i'm gonna fire this premiere up or whatever and i'm gonna just like the best part is when you don't have to listen to stuff and you're like cool i'm just gonna coast through b-roll for an hour and just like listen to a podcast and drink coffee and just chill but like i don't know maybe this is maybe this is just because i've been doing it for a minute but like after like Usually after like 30 minutes of that, I'm like, oh my God, this fucking sucks. (laughs) I'm like, I'm done with this shit. It's not Zen anymore. Like I want something with a little, I want to do something else. Hey, I think I can get a good hour uh, out of it. Like, you know, setting up a project, stuff like that, where it's Mm kind of chill. And then after that, it's, it's kind of a, it get I get bogged down. Dude, this is like, okay. So we talked about this a little bit the other day. What I really, I think that there's like this revolutionary workflow that needs to start being, that needs to start happening if resources and time allow. It's. You know, normally, right, the assistant editor sets it up and then it gets passed on to an editor who does everything, at least in our workflow, gets passed on. He does, he or she, they do everything. Uh, and then it goes to color and sounds. And then sometimes maybe the AE will put it back together or the main editor will put it back together or whatever. But I think it would be tight if it was possible for an AE to do the setup, then goes to editor one to do like the main cut or whatever. Then when the notes come back, it goes to a different editor. So that way you don't have to like undo everything you did and like spend too much time in a project. Cause sometimes it gets to like, you know, it gets to those late versions. Like we were saying, it gets like, it's like, I didn't want to be on a project from V1 to V30. Like I wanted to be on a project from V1 to like V8 max. It's a workflow that it allows you to stay less attached to your, to your cuts in a way. Like, you get more collaboration and I think that's a big part of what video is. That's what, why I gravitated to video in the first place is for me, it's kind of, it's a combination of all the arts. It's, you know, it's acting, it's, it's cinematography, yeah. it's, it's audio, it's, yeah. it's everything. And, and we take it all and we put it's, it together. It's teamwork. Teamwork. That's why it's so hard to uh, trust something when someone directed it and acted in it and wrote it and shot it and edited it you're like okay well this probably isn't gonna be very good yeah that's not a team that's a narcissist that's true that or or a student (laughs) (laughs) true true i mean we've all been there like we all maybe not all but most of us probably start out doing multiple things yeah i remember so this is we just put up a uh so we the company shishkin productions we just put up a little ad for uh some a call for some uh, interns right and a lot of those interns uh had like four or five different things listed that they would do it's like not hey we're like we're looking for a post-production intern right they're 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 not like hey i'm a i'm i'm interested in post or i'm an editor all of them are like i'm a cinematographer director producer editor screenwriter and you're like you're all of those you're like 20 how are you all of those? <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm 30 and I'm, I don't think I'm any of those actually, you know what I mean? Maybe one, but that's, it's always so interesting, man. My first rever reel was trash, bro. It was three minutes long. Damn. I think it was three and a half minutes long and it was divided into four sections and it was like cinematography, editing, motion graphics, and then some other shit. And like, oh my God, it was bad. Just looking back on it, I'm, I'm glad it doesn't exist on the internet anywhere. But, you yeah, know, I found I found my old reel like, well, like a five year old reel last night. We watched it back briefly and like it from an editing standpoint, it wasn't awful. But uh, 
it's also like what what was i even going for like i was using so much different mixed media like some of it was stuff i had shot some of it was stuff i had edited and i didn't specify like in within the video what i worked on in each one i just said oh i'm an editor mm-hmm. like maybe What's, i'm a- it's the hardest thing man because what ends up happening a lot of the time i feel like is yeah pe- maybe it's people are just too close to their own work and they don't want to like forego anything and it's like yeah you know it's like if you tell someone hey just just specialize, man. Just like if you want to be an editor, just edit. Right. But people are like, oh, yeah, I know. But like the biggest project I've done to date is this thing that I shot and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, cool. You shot one big thing, but then you edited like 10 smaller projects. So obviously you're more of an editor than you are a shooter. No one's going to hire you to shoot something off of one big project. You know, people are going to hire you to edit if or, people are going to hire you to to do something that you have more experience doing, you know? I think when you're first starting out, it's it it's advantageous to do a little bit of everything just so you can understand the workflow of, of production and post-production. But after a few years, like you got you gotta pick something because yeah. you, you Jack of all trades, master of none. At a yeah. certain point, if you want the real jobs, you need to be the best at what you do, so you need to specialize. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I, uh, I feel like I just fell into it, you know? I, don't, I feel like I never really picked, but then I was just sort of like, uh, well, I don't like being on set. I don't like being around cameras. It makes me too stressed out, so I'm just going to pick the thing where I get to sit in a room all day. I think I just had the most fun with editing. Like, I, I'm not a great shooter. I did it for a few years, and I got paid for it, but, like, e- editing everything just kind of came together a little bit more for me because I could... I could make the shit sparkle, you know, like it's fun to, to take basically when you start a project, you're kind of looking at a giant puzzle and you're just putting it together and there's not an absolute solution. There's just, there's better versions that you can make. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a puzzle that you have control of and you have to find the best version of it. Yeah. I, um, I think for me, it was just the idea of like, well, if I eventually want to direct stuff, editing is going to give me the most ideas on how to properly direct something. Granted, like that's, you know, you could argue that, right? Because like, you know, if you're never on set, being on set and interacting with people and learning to manage people and like to properly manage your time and all that stuff, that's it's one of the biggest parts of directing. You know what I mean? Being able to communicate and maintain order on set. Um, but you know, if you're never on set, how do you know if you're good at that, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I as an editor, I was basically never on set. I've almost never been on set as an editor, only as like a, a shooter. Yeah. But it, it, despite years of editing experience, I would be an awful director. Absolute shit. Yeah. I just, I don't have that presence to, to control people. And like, even though when, when, the project is given to me. I can see what's good and what's not in the moment. I can't, I can't make something good like that. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like I can direct, but it's gotta be a very certain type of thing. Like it's gotta be stuff that doesn't, it, it just has to play to my strengths, right? Like if I'm directing something for the edit, something that's really going to come together in the edit, of course I can do it because like sure. I can already visualize where it's going. If I'm trying to like, direct some like really beautiful like well-lit like cinematic type shit 
that's probably not going to be me because I'm so ADD with that shit. I'm like, cool, we got it. Cool, do we got it? We got it. Is it ready? Is the shot ready? We got it. They're like, dude, we've only had like 10 minutes to set up the shot. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, but we need to move. And like, that's that's what sucks. I've had that before where I've been on set having to direct people. And I could just afterwards, I was like, damn, I was rushing people all fucking day. Like, it's not your job, you know? Well, even as a videographer, I like as a news photographer, I was essentially my own director because it was just me and the reporter out there and I was the only one with the camera. No one's really telling me what to do. Maybe the reporter will see something and say, you know, get get that shot. But by and large, I, I was directing myself. Yeah, you were so you were the one producing the shoot, basically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How much say does a reporter have like for news? Shoot? How much say does it does a reporter basically just the talent? They just come on and they they write their own stuff. But do they like tell you, you know, how they want it shot and stuff? Or is that something you just read their script and you go from there? I mean, every report is a little bit different, but for the most part, like once you get started, every scene's more or less the same. You grab your B-roll. The The most difficult part is finding sound. Like you got to find sound bites from people. You have to find people willing to interview on camera, which most people aren't. And once you find that, usually the reporter will try to write the story around that. But by and large, like uh, I, I, I let the the reporter do as much directing as possible. But from a from a shooting standpoint, I would just I would just shoot what was there to shoot. And if I had it, I had it. If I didn't, sorry, like you can't write to think to video that I don't have. Yeah, was there ever like times when uh, people like you just couldn't get what you needed because nobody wanted to get on camera to talk yeah absolutely that was like the bane of of that wasn't that wasn't on you though you didn't have to go talk to them right the reporter was the one trying to get them to get on camera for the most part i let the reporters do thing i do their thing i was not i was a, a good photographer to work with but for like talking to people i i didn't really help the reporter a whole lot because I hated that. It was my least favorite. It's like, it's like cold calling someone, but in real life, like you're just, sometimes we would just be standing in, in a parking lot, a public parking lot, <laughs> like asking people as they're walking by to get groceries. We're like, how do you feel about this new shitty state law? Oh, and, and like, no one wants to talk to you. Eventually you'll find someone and it, it's you so ever, dumb you too. pay people. You ever be like, Hey, here's nah. 10 bucks. Can't do that. Nah. I mean, not really worth it. it. Worst case scenario, we would send the the package without sound. That's what they call the, you know, oh, yeah. whatever, yeah, whatever West or whatever. Exactly. We, uh, sometimes we'd send that, but like the, the producers at the station hated it. Like, dude, if I owned a news station, I would send my like team or whoever the report team of reporters, whatever out with like a little bit of like petty cash, like, hey, 70 bucks to get whatever sound bites, not to, this sounds messed up, not to get whatever sound bites you need, but like to get people to talk. You don't have to tell them what to say, but I think people, if they're on their way into like a grocery store and you're like, especially in Jacksonville, Florida, and you're like, hey, five bucks to get on the news, they'll be like, okay, cool. I'll, yeah, I can buy something with that, whatever. And I, then you're that. I don't know. Maybe I mean, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. Well, people, I mean, one, it, it's ethically uh, ambiguous. It's not I think. ethically ambiguous. I'm not bit. telling them what to say. I'm just trying to trying to encourage them to help me make my program. Yeah. But but say uh, if you do that, then like that person might be calling. He, they might call the other news stations and be like, yo, Action News. They're, they're paying Action people. News, they have a great business plan. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what they'll say. Do you get paid? Let me ask you. Did you get paid when you were, when you were filming stuff? What do you mean? Did the, did the news pay you? 
Yeah, I, oh, okay. I, got, I, I, I okay. made a living off of it, yes. Oh, okay, did the reporter get paid? Yes. Hmm, weird. Hmm. Weird. That's all I'm saying. They're already doing it. I, I guess, yeah, we were exploiting the labor of random citizens, we're weren't all, we? Yes, you were exploiting labor of random citizens. Yeah. Hell yeah. We were dude. also exploiting death and, and, and just terrible things. You, you ever you watched the news? Be- yeah yeah no actually i don't i stopped uh, yeah. <laughs> i stopped i stopped that was my 2020 resolution was stop watching the news and i think it worked out great that's a bad year to stop um, watching the news or a great, great year, year. To stop watching the news dude i feel better than i ever have except this weird pain in my chest and the coughing and yeah, shortness and fevers, of breath shortness of breath but i don't think that's related glad to, we shared that taco that has nothing to do with 2020 i don't <laughs> that's messed up i'm sorry for making covid jokes that's <laughs> welcome pilot episode i'm already canceled Fuck. Yeah, i gotta start somewhere <laughs> What else do we have here on the docket? We wanted to talk about worst jobs in post. Um, do you have one that comes to mind for you? I'm not talking about, uh, this doesn't have to be worst. Maybe it's weirdest, right? Like how, like weirdest would be a good thing or anything that comes to mind. I have a couple that come to mind for me. You should start. Yeah. So there's one, um, I remember it, it wasn't bad. It was like, cause it was really cool. Cause we got to meet a lot of great people on it and we worked with, uh, a, some cool footage it was just bizarre um we worked with uh, a company in los angeles me and my friend joe we worked with a company uh, called a plus films shout out they're uh they're dope you should check their stuff out uh they did some early videos for kendrick and when i remember i remember when i moved there i was like man i want to work with these guys so bad like their stuff is so cool and um they called me up like i tweeted at them and they go yeah just come through and so I just drove up to uh, to where they were and we had like an hour long meeting. And then from then they just hired me to like come PA on stuff and just be like a assistant editor and stuff. And one gig, we were working with an audio like production team, right? Called 1500 or nothing. So they've done, they like, they're like a Grammy winning production team. They've done a, a ton of work. If you Google 1500 or nothing, you'll see it. Like they've worked with everybody. And so me and Joe Nana go in there and the guys are like, yo, yeah, we want this sizzle reel. We want to do this. We want like to put it on the website, blah, blah. So we're like, okay, cool. They're like, okay, so here's all the footage. They go in a way they say it to us. They're like trying to make it seem like it's a good thing. They go, yeah. And we got like eight terabytes of footage. So it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And we were like, oh no. And so we, uh, he, the guy leaves the room and me and Joe look at each other. We're like, all right, bro. Um, well, we need to, we, we were like, we should copy all this footage and then we'll just edit it from home because there's no way we're going to get through this like eight terabytes of stuff here. They had us working on two little iMacs that were set up on like one of those plastic folding tables from Walmart, right? Which whatever, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But like also we had better setups at home. We have multiple monitors. And uh, so we start copying stuff over and we're going through it. And uh, the guy comes in to check on us after like an hour, hour and a half. He's like, how's it going? Is it done? We're like, no, 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 like nowhere near. We're we're like, we're just copying stuff over right now and we're going through the footage, but we're going to take it home. We're going to work on it. And he goes, you can't, no. And we were like, what do you mean, no? He's like, nah, that footage can't leave here. And so he made us stop the trans because he didn't want the, he just didn't, I guess he didn't know us, right? So he didn't trust us. So he didn't want the footage to get out because it had a, a lot of moments of them with like big name people. And I guess he didn't want us you know, you never know, right? LA sure. random little unpaid editors, basically. Um, so we made a stay there. So we stayed there with, it was like two, the first night we stayed there till four in the morning. It's in Inglewood, me and Joe Nana out here. Uh, I shouldn't have said his full name, whatever. Um, me and Joe Nana out here in Inglewood, 
we get out there out of there at 4 a.m we come home and then like we took shifts the next day we did like someone woke up at eight went in then the next person woke up at 11 a.m met them there then they switched and then like we at the end of it we got it done with a lot of help from from the a plus team from fredo over there but um yeah then they were like hey guys thanks for all your help and then they gave us a 1500 or nothing commemorative pen a pen <laughs> one for each of us and we were like damn welcome to la boys <laughs> that's how you break into the business though that was uh i guess i mean with pens we did get some good footage for the reels i will say that right. like that relationship is what got me the first gigs with like you know the kendrick stuff obviously early on that, that kendrick was stuff big. was in your reel for a while kendrick stuff talib quali currency that's what so i mean that's i will true. say like shout out because if it wasn't for them i wouldn't have ended up working with half the people i do because those are big names to have on there right so that's part of the problem though right is is that that's how you exploit like young labor is like oh you you need this you need us more than than we need you i mean we could turn it into an anti-capitalism podcast i would be all i'd be here for that but <laughs> that's why shishkin productions will not exploit our young labor all our interns are paid 20 dollars an hour send your reel over but what okay. about you so what was your weird weird one or worst one or uh i guess oh oh I wouldn't say it's weird. It was just kind of a, a, a small, funny thing. I used to run eight millimeter and super eight millimeter film through a projector onto like a computer. So basically, I was converting it from from film into digital. And basically, we got tons of people's home movies. Sometimes it was their parents' home movies because it's, you know, 20, 30 year old footage. And one time, a you know, 30 year old ish woman brought in her, her parents stuff. Cause she wanted to surprise them with hey you know, Merry Christmas. Here's all your old stuff. And while I was running through the film, they, the parents had a, an older private video oh, God. that <laughs> was it well filmed at least. Oh man. Did they just I, set it up? How do you film? How do you film a, a porn with an old camera you have to have you have so one hand has to constantly be cranking that thing that 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 i think maybe you have some swinger friends i think that's how oh, that goes that could be it yeah yeah well they they must have been uh, we didn't give that video to them we just you kept it oh no no I, I deleted that i did not keep it actually <laughs> oh, okay, actually right. maybe maybe i have it somewhere i'll look wow I'll look. wow uh, yeah. but i doubt because because <laughs> i would chop i would copy everything to, to to back it up but i'm pretty sure i don't have that say, it wasn't can, quality you can put that on your only fans or, or <laughs> patreon subscribers get the free get the free uh old people porno oh that's my what, goodness no that's i can't that's another wild ass job to take i've never you know straight up i'm out here working in post i've never even touched film i've literally never touched film in my life i couldn't if you showed me a film reel and we're like ingest this or load this camera up or something like that i'd be like I don't know how I literally wouldn't even know where to start. It's it's super niche. Like I think that the the projector that the owner of that place had, like there is only one company somewhere in like Europe who serviced it, and he'd sent it off like during the the slow season every year to go get serviced, and like there was basically no competition for him because those those machines were so hard to find at the time. I can't, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't even imagine, but that is cornering the market, I guess. So anyone who needs anything on that machine, it is a dying market, I guess. It's um, actually kind of crazy. Cause like one time I was, while I was working there, I was like cleaning, uh, I was living with my grandparents and I was cleaning some of their stuff and I found some old 
Super 8 film. So I, I brought it in Uh-oh. to just like transfer for them. Nothing. Don't, don't worry. Don't <laughs> worry. Nothing bad. <laughs> I was like, Miss Stock, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I transferred everything and then I, I told my parents about it and they were like, oh, thank you. But we actually brought it to the place that you work like 10 years ago and got, and got this all done. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Glad I wasted a few hours. And the, the thing about that job was, it, it like it transferred in real time. So if I had eight hours of footage, I literally it was a terrible job. I would just sit there and I had to have a uh, a, a duster, like an air duster, air blaster, mm-hmm. because this the film was usually old and dirty. And you know how when you're watching back film, you see the little hairs on the, the yeah, edges. Yeah, yeah. I would have to blow them out. Like anytime I saw them on the computer, I'd you know blow them out, clean it off. And, uh, is it one of those things where as the reel is turning, you have to be there with the thing is real time. Yeah. I would literally just sit there for hours at a time. And like sometimes the film would break and like, you know, it'd break while it was rolling. So I'd have to stop it. I'd have to take it out, splice it, splice it. Yeah. You know, put put it back together, run it back through. And like some of the reels were just so frustrating. So not beyond repair, but just like almost weren't worth the work yeah. that I was doing. I mean, none of it was worth the work I was doing because at the time, so this is in Florida at the time, I think minimum wage was like eight twenty five, maybe eight forty. Oh, I was man. making $9 an hour. However, I was contracted. So I was paying my own taxes on right. it. So I found out You're like a year later. Six. What's that? Yeah, exactly. If I found out a year later, whenever I did my taxes, oh, I made less than minimum wage at this shit. Like, yeah. Yeah, but at least you, you got to see those old people fucking, you know. And, and now, dude, <laughs> now you can just it. now you just pull it up on your phone whenever you want. Yeah, you know? here, here I am still talking about it. Yeah, life changing really experience. They had an impact on you, dude. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, well, this has been good. I th- we got forty minutes in. I think that's a pretty good it's little. Pretty thing impressive. Um. All right. If you guys want to find out more, just go ahead and uh, follow this is a real podcast on Twitter, on Instagram. We don't have those yet, but maybe we will one day. What you can do is go to shishkinproductions.com um, slash podcasts. It'll be there. Um, and then from there, I guess you can just kind of see what we do. If you have any questions for me or for Chris, send them in. If you want to, if you want a copy of that old people fucking eight millimeter tape. I'll take a look. <laughs> yeah. He'll, he'll try to pull up, pull one up for you. Just, uh, just send it in the email. 999 episodes to go. All right. Here we go. See you guys. Bye. Je suis une production.